Wonderful, thanks Laura. Let me add uh, my welcome uh, to Johnny's. If I haven't met you, my name's uh, Chris Evans. I'm one of the elders here um, at Redeemer. Um, I'm just going to pray again before we have a look at this wonderful passage. Father, we thank you for this splendid picture of what uh, awaits your people in the new creation. We pray now that as we listen, that your spirit would give us the eyes of faith to be able to behold that future glory, but in doing so, you would give us confidence and courage to keep going now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, at the end uh, of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, uh, in the last battle, the very end of the Chronicles, there is this description um, of life after death. Aslan, who is sort of the, the Christ figure in the books, um, tells that the Pevensey children that in dying they have moved from a place called the Shadowlands, that's what he calls the here and now, they've moved from the Shadowlands into a deeper reality. He ends with these words. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, and all their adventures in Narnia, had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Well, that's a great ending, isn't it? A great ending to a great series of stories. If we're a Christian here today, we have an even better future in store than even C.S. Lewis can describe, one that he's trying to point to here. An ending that really is a happily ever after. But I imagine for most of us, there's a bit of a disconnect, isn't there, between that glorious ending and the shadowlands that we feel we're living in, in the present. That's true for, for them in the story, and it's true for, for us. Last week in 2 Corinthians 4, we saw that whilst the gospel message is glorious, about beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, well, gospel messengers, they are far from glorious. They're weak. Suffer, they die. Paul has to say things like this in chapter 4, verse 16 Do not lose heart. Why does he have to say that? Well, he knows, doesn't he, that there will be times where we will. As we've been thinking about our gospel mission the last few weeks, I wonder if there are ways that you felt you were tempted to, to lose heart, particular situations. Maybe sharing Christ feels increasingly hard and seems to just bear little fruits. Maybe we find it increasingly easier to, to keep quiet as pressure around us feels like it grows. Maybe lockdown has got us into the habit of just not really talking to many people that, that we don't normally know about the Lord Jesus. Or maybe physical, mental pain, struggles with sin are 
are such a daily presence in our life that it feels hard to cling to God's goodness, hard to cling to Christ for ourselves, let alone hold him out to others. How do we not lose heart? How do we hold on to Christ so that we can hold out Christ? Well, Paul carries on at the end of chapter 4, we heard last week, with, with these words, 4 verse 18. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's answer to not losing heart is to fix our eyes on things unseen. And Paul's answer in our passage today is that as we look at those things unseen, as we gaze on that future glory, we will find courage and confidence in our present groaning. But how do we fix our eyes on something that we can't see? How do we see future glory? How do we find that courage and confidence? Well, right in the middle of our passage, 5 verse 7 tells us it's by walking by faith and not by sight. A bit like a, a book, like my copy of um, The Last Battle here, all that we see with our eyes at the moment is, is the title page, isn't it? And it can be very easy to judge a book by its cover. But how can I see both the title page and read it at the same time? Well, I, I can't unless I've got some kind of mirror system. No, we need, we need someone to reveal it to us. And so we need the eyes of faith and the gift of the Spirit to be able to see that future glory. Well, in this passage, uh, we're going to see uh, three things, I think, that Paul wants us to see by faith to give us courage uh, for the present. And the first thing we see by faith is that we have a body to die for. A body to die for. Now, most of us probably feel quite uncomfortable um, saying that we've got a body to die for, um, unless you're one of those kind of rare breed of people who both owns a gym membership and uses it at the same time. But Paul says, it's true. Have a look, 5 verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Paul sets our gaze on the future to give us courage and confidence in the present. He says, when God's people die, they will receive a new, renewed, transformed body in the new creation. Let's just draw out two, two things uh, that Paul is highlighting about this body. Firstly, it is eternal. He says, our current body is like a tent. Tents are uh, temporary residences. Even back in the first century, this was a familiar picture of something, it doesn't last forever, it's not meant to be at your current permanent dwelling. It doesn't stay up, there aren't deep foundations. Tents are something that you might use uh, on the journey to get somewhere. But once you've, you've got there and you've found where you're planning to stay for a long time, a nice, strong, steady, sheltered building, you're hardly going to say, oh goody, let's pop the tent up in the garden and, and I'll just live there the whole time. Well, there might be a few people who would do that, but not most of us, I think. And Paul says, 
Our current bodies are like tents, they're, they're temporary, they are for the journey, if you like. But our future body, do you see, that will be like a building, solid, permanent, an eternal house in heaven from God, not built by human hands. This tent building comparison is, is Paul picking up on Old Testament imagery. If you know the story um, of God's people as they uh, were rescued through the Red Sea from Egypt, God was present with them in a special way as they wandered in the wilderness. He was present with them in the tabernacle, which was a tent. But this was only a temporary thing. When they came after 40 years of, of wandering to the Promised Land, well, that tent, that temporary dwelling was replaced by a permanent one. The temple was built. And in a similar way, like wilderness wandering, God knows our current residence it is temporary, it is like a tent. And we are waiting for that promised land of the new creation too, when our shaky tents will be dismantled at death and rebuilt into something permanent. So don't lose heart. Future glory gives courage for present groaning. We have a body to die for. A body that is eternal. But secondly, this body is also fixed for heaven. I don't know how you feel when someone gives you an invitation or you go to a kind of do that's got a dress code. To it. Sometimes it's quite straightforward, isn't it? Smart casual or dinner jackets and ball gowns, but sometimes it's frustratingly vague and, and you're kind of in angst trying out all sorts of outfits. Um, Paul here is kind of changing the pictures. He moves um, into verses 2 to 4 from, from kind of structures to fashion and, and, and clothes. He talks about being clothed, and it's the idea of being fit for heaven, fit for this new place where we will be. And wonderfully, it's not something that we have to agonise over, like pulling out drawers, going through wardrobes, looking in the mirror. No, it is a longing for clothing that will already be provided for us by God himself. Verse 2 says this, Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed, instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. Uh, the right dress code for Paul is not to be found naked. And that's probably the right dress code for, for most of us as well, isn't it? It might sound like an assumed dress code, but I think he means something a little bit more than, than simply um, not wearing any clothes. But the idea of uh, naked here is not having any body at all. He longs not to be without a body, but rather to have his heavenly his heavenly dwelling instead of his earthly one. And just as an aside, I think this is because our, our new creation bodies are something that we wait for when we die, at the return of Christ. Now whether, whether that waiting is, is instantaneous after we've died or, or not, I don't know, there's some debate about that. Um, but he knows that at that moment of death, we go to be with the Lord, and when Christ brings in the new creation, we are waiting for that heavenly dwelling. And he knows that the end goal is not to be 
floating about eternally in some disembodied state, but that the new creation will be a physical place with physical bodies. But if being fit for eternity is what our bodies are going to be like, and we've seen our current ones are like tents, they, they fall apart easily, don't they? It carries on, verse 4, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And this is what makes it so fitting for heaven. Our heavenly dwelling is fit for heaven because only then, with that heavenly clothing, will what is mortal be swallowed up by life. Only then will decay and disease be gone, will be fully renewed, transformed and imperishable. All that might be physically wrong with us will be swallowed up by life, be put right, never to go wrong again. All that might be mentally wrong with us will be swallowed up by life, put right, never to go wrong again. What a glorious thought. A body fit for heaven is a body to die for in, in all senses. But what does that future glory mean for us now? For the doctor's appointments, for the, the drug treatment, for organ failure, for ageing bodies, for chronic pain? What does it mean for, for mental strain when we are overwhelmed by anxiety? What does it mean for those who face beatings and burnings for serving the Lord Jesus? I wonder if you saw the word that came up twice in verse 2 and verse 4. It means that in this tent, we groan. Now, groaning is not the same as grumbling. Here it has a, a kind of positive side to it, that idea of longing. Groaning here is less about how hard the journey is, although that is true, but more about how glorious the destination will be and how that can overwhelm us and our thoughts and will keep us going in the present. It is an aching longing for something so wonderful we cannot bear to be without it. Paul uses this word groaning in, in Romans 8 and he talks about all of creation groaning for its redemption and its renewal. And he uses the picture of labour pains. It is as if all of creation is waiting to give birth. Now, I can't speak from from personal experience, but that kind of groaning, from what I gather, is very painful. But the pain is bearable because there is a longing of joy at the other end of it. I think that is this kind of groaning that Paul is saying about here. Groaning is not grumbling, but it is a deep longing, a deep ache for what is to come. And that does leave room, I think, for a sense of godly dissatisfaction for how things are now, but because we know what they will be. But don't let anyone tell you that it is unspiritual to groan, to see the difference between what it will be and what it is now. That is very different to grumbling. And verse 5 tells us, now the one who has fashioned for us this very purpose is, is God himself who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We have 
the Spirit in us to guarantee us to, to press into our hearts more this truth. And so the very reason that we might long for it is because God has prepared it and given us His Spirit. And so if you feel that longing this morning, if you feel that weakness within you, that longing for your future body, then it is a sign that the Spirit is pressing that guarantee more into you, into your heart, and helping you to hold on to it. Our future glory gives courage for present groaning. So do you long for your new body? For fatigue to be a thing of the past, for swellings and, and aches to, to vanish, for the balance of chemicals to be exactly as they should be, for organs to function rightly, to, to never need to check the ingredients of your food again because of allergies. Do you long for your mind to think rightly, to never be immersed in darkness of depression or crippled by fears and anxiety. Maybe you long that for someone very close to you. Paul says, if that is your longing, do not lose heart. The Spirit has been given to us as a deposit and guarantee that that is our future glory. And there are days where we will feel left in pieces, but the promise still stands. God's prepared it for us, and he's guaranteed it. We have a future glory, a body to die for. And so we can find courage and confidence in our present groaning. But as well as calling us to see by faith that we have this body to die for, Paul also wants us to see we have a home with the Lord, verses 6 to 8. I think in these verses Paul is speaking less about our physical future in the new creation and more about the closeness of our relationship with the Lord Jesus that we will experience there. I wonder if you've ever been really homesick. There's a number of us in this room for whom home is a long way away. People who've grown up in another culture or another language even. Um, maybe even our idea of home might be tied to a different time. I lived in France for, for a year or so, and there were moments there where I was even homesick for somewhere like Southampton, I know. Um, I found this English shop which sold Marmite and golden syrup, and that was strangely comforting. I don't know, in somewhere like France where food is incredible, why, uh, why would I find that comforting? But nonetheless, um, I had a great time there, but it was nice to come home. Now, for some, home might not be that kind of place, it might not be an easy place to go to, it might not be somewhere you feel particularly homesick for. But whichever camp you land in, there is a sense in which we are all longing for the same thing, isn't there? A, a home, somewhere where we feel safe, where we feel known and loved. And I wonder if that's why so often the special thing about going home um, isn't so much the place, it can be, particular sights and smells, but so often it, it's the people, isn't it? In verses 6 to 8, Paul reminds us the greatest thing about this home, as great as our renewed bodies will be, is the one who is waiting for us there. 
It's the welcome and the embrace that we'll receive as we cross the threshold. More than anything else, Christ is what Christ offers. Christ is what Christ offers. The, the greatest blessing he gives us over all other things is himself. And for Paul, the new creation without Christ is no heaven to speak of at all. That is no home that we'll be happy in forever. Paul compares a couple of options of home. Have a look at verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That's option one. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Which is best? Home in the body and away from the Lord? Paul says, I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Option two, every time. And Paul knows this side of the new creation, our experience of, of communion with the Lord Jesus, it will go up and down. At times, we can all probably feel distant from the Lord. But what awaits us is a, a closeness, unhindered by sin and suffering. This is something that God's people have always longed for. In Psalm 27, David tells us his greatest desire, if given carte blanche, what would it be? He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Future glory gives courage in our present groaning because then we will be home with the Lord. It's not wrong to feel a sense of heavenly homesickness, if you like, in this life. Because what we long for is a deeper experience of what we were made for and what we've been saved for. To know and enjoy God forever. Now we taste that already in part, but what awaits us is greater in every way. And homesickness, though, it doesn't mean that we lose heart. It may be hard. When we can't see Jesus there, it can feel hard to, to keep him in view, can't it? But Paul says in verse 6 and verse 8, no, we can wait with confidence. Why? Well, verse 7, there is a way to see without our eyes. If we live by faith and not by sight. It's like our our book, we can see past a title page and into the story, even though it is out of our physical sight, because God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. He's guaranteed it to us, so that when we look with the eyes of faith, we can see Christ, the host, beckoning us home, step by step, to enjoy communion with Him. I mentioned I grew up in Southampton, that used to be my home. Occasionally, I do feel like I want to go back there still. Um, I've moved to Winchester now. Um, when I'm away from Winchester, I, I definitely feel like I, I want to come back here. Um, but neither of those places are my true home, or our true home, are they? Our true home is with the Lord. The journey may be long, painful, and tiring, but the destination is worth it for the welcome we'll receive. 
may have come across um, Fanny Crosby. She was a, a hymn writer um, in the 19th century. And you probably know several of her hymns. And one of the common themes was the desire for a closer walk with the Lord Jesus. And particularly, that would be like one day when, uh, when we are with him in glory. But Fanny Crosby, you may also know, was blind. What was it that helped her to not lose heart? Well, of course, she longs to see and, and hope for that new body and the new eyes that she would have. But the thing which excited her even more was being able to see Jesus and to know him more for herself. Uh, this is the end of her hymn, uh, To God Be the Glory. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our worship, when Jesus we see. Our future glory, that hope of communion with Christ, can give us courage, can't it, for our present groaning, our present homesickness. So do not lose heart. By faith we see that we have a body to die for, a home with the Lord, and finally, a judge to please. Just because the future is so glorious and so weighty, uh, just because we're now living in what C.S. Lewis calls the shadow lands, it doesn't mean that life now doesn't matter, that it isn't important, or that it doesn't go unnoticed. If we look at verse 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, for the good and bad. Now these verses, just want to be clear, are, are not saying that what we've done will determine our salvation or not. But that would go against um, the gospel of grace that Paul outlines so clearly in all of his letters. But what Paul's talking about is a different kind of judgment altogether here. Um, one commentator said it's much more like a picture of a, a kind of family prize giving. Every believer uh, here is assembled. They, they are already saved, beloved sons and daughters, already a new creation in Christ. And they are assembled with the opportunity of, of hearing those words, well done, good and a faithful servant. Oh, I wonder if you've ever had maybe a, a situation where you've worked really hard at, at something. Um, maybe it's a project or report at work, and you stay behind several nights a week, um, up late, uh, and you know, there, are, there are kind of signs that others can pick up, bleary eyes, they ask you kind of what you've done all week, and you just have a vacant stare, maybe it's the same clothes, and you've got a kind of stain from lunch on Monday, still going on Thursday afternoon. Um, you've worked so hard that your, your supervisor, well, maybe no one, notices. No one says thank you. It feels like you've slogged your guts out for nothing. Maybe it's jobs around the house. Um, often it's, it's mums, isn't it? They do a lot, which children just kind of assume magically happen, whether that's meals or washing or, or tidying up. When they get older, suddenly uh, have to do some of these things themselves. The, the thought kind of Maybe there's hard work going on in a relationship, um, but not both of you appreciate quite the effort that is going in. We can work hard on lots of things, can't we? 
And while we don't ultimately do things for our own praise or glory, there is a place for acknowledging good and hard work when something is praiseworthy, isn't there? And I think that's something of what is going on here. As we seek to live out our gospel mission, as we seek to share the glorious message, as we have that experience, as we thought last week, of, of weakness and jars of clay, we have different opportunities, don't we? We can we're faced with choices. Do we speak or do we stay silent? Do we serve Christ or do we serve self? Do we give out or do we hold and take? Do we suffer or do we compromise? Now, amazingly, Paul tells us that we can know God's pleasure when we serve him rightly in these ways. And unlike those situations I gave before, nothing we do goes unnoticed by him. On the one hand, that might be a scary thought. All of us will know ways that we have not always aimed to please Jesus, not taken every opportunity we've been given. Maybe we've done something we shouldn't have done, or we've not taken an opportunity that we should have. It can be a scary thing, but not everything will go unnoticed. But remember, this is not a salvation judgment. We come as those who are already beloved sons and daughters. It could be a scary thing, but on the other hand, there is something incredibly exciting and powerful here. Every moment where someone has stood for Christ, every moment where they've been counted a fool, where they've stood their ground, where obedience and loyalty to Jesus has been more important than personal comfort, none of these things will go unnoticed. All will be celebrated by Christ himself, and we will celebrate in his pleasure and in our brother's and sister's obedience too. It can be tempting, can't it, to lose heart as we try and witness to friends, family, colleagues, neighbours. It can be tempting to lose heart as we try and fight sin, especially when some of these things maybe happen without loads of other people looking on. But what a privilege to know None of that goes unnoticed by the Lord Jesus. What a precious thing to know that he is pleased when we keep following him. And that one day we'll have the opportunity to enjoy that pleasure with him and with all the saints in the new creation. And our future glory in the pleasure of Jesus can give us courage for our present growth. So do not lose heart says Paul, fix your eyes on what is unseen as we are powered by the eyes of faith that future glory guaranteed by the Spirit can give us courage for now as we see that body to die for as we gaze on that home of the Lord and think about uh, the judge we can please let's take a moment uh, to reflect and then I'll close in prayer
for the home with you and the sweet communion we will one day enjoy. And for the pleasure of being able to celebrate the acts of courage and standing for you that your people have done. Help us, we pray, not to lose heart. As we groan with longing and burden, as we feel homesickness, as we feel hesitant to share our faith, Lord, we pray your spirit would make more real to us the guarantee of our resurrection bodies. Help us to, to long for that deeper intimacy with Jesus that we will, we will know. And we pray that as we hear, that we would look forward to hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant, that the thought of sharing in your 